friends and welcome back to another exciting episode of Ramones Mania, a podcast for Ramones fans by a Ramones fan talking about the Ramones. I'm your host Didi Thorazine and this week my friends, my guest is none other than the bass player of Going Places. My good friend Frank is on the show to talk about all things awesome including the new album which will be out soon on Mum's Basement Records and Speaking of Mum's Basement Records, they have just released the brand new split EP between the Jasons and those crazy black Russians. Uh, it is awesome. It is on many different variants of vinyl, and the CD comes with a bonus cut from each band, so that's always exciting stuff. But you can get a sample of that right now. There you have it, my friends, the Black Russians on Ramones Mania, kicking out the jams, being awesome, all of that sort of stuff. But anyway, moving right along, if you want to contact this show, Podcast at gmail.com is the email address. There's also a Facebook page and an Instagram page, which are both at Podcast. Uh, unfortunately, with the Facebook page, I don't actually have Facebook, so I'm the worst at promoting So this link that I have from the Ramones Mania website just goes direct to Facebook. And if you want to share it, please do. I really appreciate it Uh, because I can't share it because I don't have Facebook. But there we go. Uh, But yes, Go On Places, awesome band. They have a new album coming out soon on Mum's Basement Records. So get your ears and mitts on that. But in the meantime, grab yourself your favorite beverage and put up your feet and relax as me and Frank go deep diving into Green Day, I make him do some homework on the hard-ons, and 
uh, we talk about obviously going places stuff, but he's got wicked Ramon stories and you're going to love them all. There's some really cool stuff here. So it's a long show. It's two hours long, but it's worth it. Trust me. It's worth it, man. It's worth it. So I hope that your day, uh, if you're at work listening to this, I hope your day goes by very fast because why not? Anyway, uh, this is, yeah, one of the last shows of the year. I can't believe that it's already been moving along so quickly. And yeah, but, you know, thank you so much for anyone who's been listening to the show and been enjoying it and sending messages saying how much you love it and whatever. I really do appreciate it because I have no idea of the reach of the show unless people tell me. So it's always good to hear from you. But yes, like I said, Frank is on the show this week and we're going to get into that right now. much for doing this i really appreciate it oh thank you for having me well i gotta start this the way i start them all uh frank and that is i have to ask you and i'm sure you know what question i'm about to ask but do you remember the very I first time coming. you heard the ramones and what your immediate reaction to them was 
Yeah, I, I know I know you ask everybody that, and I got to be honest with you, I don't remember the first time I ever heard them because I I kind of feel like they were a band that just was around. I, I just was aware of them for as long as I could remember. Not that I was a fan all along, but the certain, the handful of big songs like, you know, I'm from New York City, so if you went to a Yankee game, you would hear Blitzkrieg Bop played at Yankee Stadium or like sedated and rockaway beach were on the radio every once in a while so i just was aware of them but i never really dug into it or listened or anything but i do remember the first time that it clicked for me and that was probably like in late 95 or early 96 i remember seeing the sedated video on mtv and for whatever reason, I had heard the song a million times before, but for, that, that was the point in my life where I was really getting heavy into music. And I said, oh, yeah, I know this song. This, this is really good. I'm going to go find more about these guys. And I remember going to the mall, and I wanted to get a Greatest Hits album because I figured, okay, I know these guys have been around forever. This probably makes sense. Let me find their Greatest Hits. And the store had All the Stuff and More Volume 2. You remember that one, right? Yeah, yeah. So that, that was Rocket to Russia and Road to Ruin, but yeah. I didn't know that. So I looked at the back of it. It had like 30-something songs. The title sounded like it was probably a greatest hits thing to me, <laughs> and I saw Rockaway Beach, and I saw Sedated on there. So I said, oh, this must be like part two of their greatest hits. I'll get this. I took it home, listened to it, loved it. And for a while, it took like probably a couple of weeks before somehow I figured out it's not a greatest hits. These are just two of their studio albums because I loved every song on there. And I remember thinking like, well, this makes sense. This is like their best stuff. So that's why every song is so good. And then at some point for what, however it was, I figured out or realized, wait, these are just two, just two of their albums. And I remember going, holy shit, these, these are just two studio albums and, and every song is this good. And then, then it was just downhill after that. And I had to go find everything. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when the, I picked up the, all the stuff in more volumes. I remember that I could, the second one was really hard to find for a long time. I bought all the stuff in more volume one. I found that in the, the local store, but volume two was only ever on import here. And I remember going into okay. veranda music, which was the import, cd record store that we had and he had it there for sale and i was like oh it's a bit expensive because you know being import it was back then they could charge whatever they want for it and you'd pay it because it was quote unquote import and uh i was like oh fuck it i'll just buy it and i I think i paid something stupid for it like you know 30 dollars australian which is at the time was a lot of money uh, so yeah. I think I paid that for it and I got it home and I was fucking like, fuck yeah, because I didn't have uh road to ruin or rocket to Russia on vinyl or CD by that point. But the way I discovered him was through my brother, but I, the first record I bought was Ramones mania. And then from okay. there I just started buying, but the other albums I bought first was I was buying stuff like I bought, I think I bought Animal Boy first after buying Ramones Mania, and then I bought like Brain Drain, and then, you know, Too Tough to Die. So I, I was buying stuff like that was later. Like I wasn't buying yeah. the early shit yet because I just couldn't find it like on CD, yeah, or or vinyl for that matter. And then eventually I just started finding them and you know just buying every single thing I could find. So yeah, but yeah, it wasn't like uh, the, I, I started. I, I know that the most stuff I bought like by studio albums was always the I bought the later stuff that I could, which was at that time I think it was Brain Drain. Then I started working backwards. So it was I know I just bought. I went on the strength of the songs 
that I heard on Ramones Mania. So if I really loved a song on Ramones Mania, that would be the next album I'd buy. Yeah. The studio album. Yeah. So. Yeah. I remember around that time, like with the CDs and everything, like if I'm remembering correctly, the first four albums, I don't even think were individually released on CD. I think they did the, the comps, all the stuff, volume one and two. And then they did like, they started with end of the century and did that on its own. And cause I, when I started buying everything that those were the albums that were available on their own end of the century and everything later on CD. And I had to like special order each one at my local record store. But as far as on CD the, for the first four albums, it was just those two compilations volume one and two. And then eventually they started doing those like expanded ones, I think in 2002 or something like that. Yeah. yeah I bought all those too. I don't know why, because yeah. I, I mean, I've got like so many different versions of those albums as it is that I just bought them anyway. I was like, oh, there's a one track on there I haven't heard, a demo. I'll buy that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I think I have, I, let me, like, to just go with, say, the first album, Ramones, I know I have it on all the stuff in more volume one. I have the, I have it on cassette, I have it on vinyl, and then I know I have it on the 2002. Uh, re-release but then after that i stopped like i know a couple of years ago they started doing what are those the 40th anniversary yeah, yeah. i i didn't i didn't let myself stop buying those yeah i bought uh those 40th anniversaries and i can tell you i i think the mix of the mono mix of the first album is far more superior than the original mix i that's all yeah, i listen I've to heard now. That. it's 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 yeah, it's, it's it is really good. I, I mean, I've heard all of them, all the the 40th anniversary box sets, and I'm looking forward to the end of the century one. Even though I read it got delayed, and it's going to be like a 30, 41st anniversary because they're not going to get it out in time. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I've, I've enjoyed them all. Um. But like I said, I just haven't plunked down the money to actually buy the physical copies. I think the end of the century one would be super interesting. I remember when I interviewed Ed Stasium and I asked him about that and he said that he thinks it's going to happen and uh, he did mention uh that they, they were looking at despectorizing doing a version without all yes. the phil specter which i mean i think the phil specter stuff is part of the charm of that record and that's why i love that record i'm not sure how yeah. i'm gonna like it without it i mean i'm still curious to hear it but i think that a song like do you remember rock and roll radio without the phil specter stuff i don't think it's going to sound anywhere near as good it's no, it, it's not going to be as good, but I mean, my feeling is we have the original, it's there, we can always go back to it. I'm interested to hear, you know, a different take on it. And yeah, and yeah th- you're exactly right. That's what they're doing. I don't know if you saw, because the track list for the box set has been released. I, I'm pretty sure Rick Rubin was involved with it, and he did the remix of for the 40th anniversary one. See, that's really bizarre because Ed Stasium was there. Like he was at yeah. those sessions and he told me back then that he was the one that think he, he was going to be involved in it. Maybe, I don't know what's happened there, but I mean, it seems weird that he wouldn't be involved with that considering he had so much involvement in the album. He said that, you know, like he was there from the moment they start. He was doing the rehearsals with the band. Like yeah. he was going to be the fifth Ramon and right. uh, playing second guitar and he declined the offer, but he was, he rehearsed the songs on guitar with the band. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, he said he did yeah, that. He's invo- I know he's involved with this re-release for sure. He He's definitely a part of it, but I know that Rick Rubin has his name attached to it as well. How much involvement he had, I don't know if they just wanted to get his name on there, but Stasium definitely has a hand in it. They yeah, talked about he would have it on, to. Yeah, they, yeah they, they did the live stream for um, 
Joey's, they do the birthday bash every April, and this year they had to do it virtually, obviously. But Stasium was on there, and he mentioned something about it, that he was working on it at the time. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Such an interesting album and all the stories that surround it. And it was so interesting talking to Ed Stasium about that and asking him about, you know, the gun incident and all that. And he's just like, yeah, that didn't happen. You know, he was just, he just debunked yeah. all the, all the, the mystery and the theories about it, which I thought was so yeah. bizarre, like that they've been carrying on these myths and legends for years. And then you talk to somebody who was actually there and he goes, yeah, that didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's what it is with like a band like the Ramones that has such a storied history, like, I'm sure a lot of stuff that we think, you know, really did happen and, and all these legendary stories probably is bullshit. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, almost sure. like you don't want to find that out, right? It, it's In a way, it's cool to talk to a guy like Stasium and have him tell you that, but the little kid in you wants to, like, still wants to believe in Santa Claus, right? And still yeah. wants to believe that Spectre pulled the gun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he said that... Um... Uh, the the whole thing about listening to the opening chord to Rock and Roll High School for eight hours straight or something. He goes, it was more like an hour. He goes, it wasn't eight hours like yeah. he said it like, was reported. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was so interesting. He said he played guitar on that record. It's him doing the, a lot of the guitar on that record. So Johnny did finish it, but it's a lot of that stuff is Ed Stasium. So I think did Didi. I'm trying to remember if it was that one or another. Maybe I'm thinking of Brain Drain. I don't know, but. I remember Didi saying that he wasn't even sure if he if he, any of his bass tracks are actually on there. I don't know if he said that about End of the Century. Yeah, he or did what. say that. Yeah, that was in one of the books as well. Yeah, I think it might have been in yeah. his book, his uh, Surviving the Ramones or whatever it was. It might have been on that uh-huh. one. But yeah, he said he said that. But I asked uh, Ed, and Ed said no, he played on it. So oh okay, because he's just too wasted. I think Monty said the same yeah. thing. He was just too out of his mind, you know, like from all the drugs and yeah. stuff to really to remember. He doesn't remember a lot of stuff. So yeah. Yeah, but uh, you know who else can write as many songs as he did in in like the short period of time? So you know, oh yeah, the guy was incredible, incredible. Yeah, after the you got those those uh, you know the first or the, all the stuff and more and things like that. When you did a deep dive into uh, into Ramon's world, you must have been pretty heartbroken uh-huh. that you were obviously too late. <laughs> for the Ramones then because you wouldn't have been able to see them. But have right. you been able to see any of the solo guys do any of their oh, shows? Oh, yeah, tons of stuff like that. But and, and as far as seeing them, so I was I just missed it. They were doing, what was it, Lollapalooza in 96. Yeah. And they were coming around in New York City. And I remember mentioning, I was 15 at the time, and like I mentioned it to my dad, and, and like he kind of in passing said, Oh yeah, I'm not going to take you to that or something like I'm not going to drive you there and like that was the end of it. So that was like my only chance to go see them cuz I I wasn't like driving or anything at the time. I was yeah. still too young. Um so so no, I didn't get to see the Ramones, but I've seen everything else related to them that I mean I, I could give you the whole list, but the closest that I got to see was um you remember when Marky and Didi were doing the Remains, right? Yeah. I'm sure you yeah. know all about that. And I saw them a bunch of times in the city, in New York City. But at one of the shows at the Continental, uh, the Remains played. And after two songs, Joey came up and did the rest of the set with them. Oh, so man. it was it was Didi, Marky, and Joey at this small bar called the Continental. You know, yeah. people packed in and, and it was fucking great. Who was on guitar? Was it Daniel Ray? <sighs> I think it was 
Do you remember when Marky had the intruders? He had this young guy, Ben Trokin. Ah, uh, yep, yep, yep. Okay, makes sense, yeah. I think, yeah, I think it was him. I don't think Daniel, if if Daniel Ray played with the remains, it was only at the very beginning. I'm not sure that he did. CJ played with them for the first few shows. Nice. But I never got to see them with CJ. I remember having a cassette tape of like one of the first or second remain shows, um, and CJ played guitar with them and sang half the songs, but that oh, wow. didn't last long. Yeah, and then it was, um, then it was mostly Marky and Dee Dee um, with Dee Dee's wife Barbara on bass, and that that guy Ben from the Intruders would sometimes play second guitar, um, but that didn't last forever. So then it was most of the time it was just like the three piece: Marky, Dee Dee, and uh, Barbara. Nice. And um, did you uh, end up meeting so, any of them? Yeah, I've met at that show. I, I didn't meet them, but I've met them at various different guys at various times. Like, um, I'm trying to remember who did I meet first. Marky, I remember meeting at CBGB's um, at, um, you know, Greg Hetson from Bad Religion and Circle Jerks does um, punk rock karaoke. Yep, yep, yep. So maybe this was, I don't know, 99 or something like that. I can't remember exactly, but punk rock karaoke was playing at CBGB's and Marky was there and he did two songs with them. And I, and one of the songs I sang, uh, signed up to sing was Sheena and Marky played drums. Um, oh, so that when is I got awesome. that song with them, he was playing, uh, playing drums. And I talked to him a little bit that night. And it, it, there's a funny story with that too. I remember Eric Melvin from no effects was playing bass for, um, punk rock karaoke that night. So, I get up there and, you know, they're about to start the song and Marky starts to count it off. And I, inter I interrupted him and I said, whoa, 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 wait. And then I said to Melvin, it's a Ramon song. You got to count it off because you're playing bass. So like Hetson laughed and he goes, oh, yeah, Didi, do you want to count it off? And then Marky goes to me, he goes, no, just shut the fuck up and sing the song. And then he counted it off. And oh, that my was God. <laughs> So, so that that was kind of cool. Marky Ramon told me to fuck off, so that was good. <laughs> On stage at CBG, no less. Wow. So, so that was um, yeah. But then um, I'm I CJ. I've spoken to a couple of times, and I met him uh, at a show in Long Island a couple of years ago. And then Joey, I actually this this is the one that stands out to me the most. My band prior to going places. I used to be in a different band years ago and we were playing a show at CBGB's and Arturo Vega, I don't have to, you know who he is, yeah. obviously did the, the logo and everything. He had the apartment right around the block from CB's yep. and he was setting up this show at CBGB's cause he used to run their official website. Do you remember that? I don't like remember called... that he did the website, but I, um, uh, I mean, obviously, I know everything. Most things about Arturo. I knew where he lived. I've been to his apartment, yeah. but not inside it. But stood out the front of it and saw the Vega written on the little card thing there. Right. But yeah. So, so like before, I guess the internet really took off, and before like Ramon's Corporation knew what was what, they, Arturo ran a website for them. Um, it was called OfficialRamones.com. Oh yes, and I do remember he, this. Yes, yeah. Okay, and he, and he had a fan club and everything like that that he ran. So. When he launched that website, he set up a show at CBGB's where all these bands were going to come and play short sets of Ramones covers. Uh, this was in December of 99, I think. And at the end of the night, Joey was going to pick his favorite band and play a set of Ramones songs with that band 
backing him. Oh, and nice. it turned out that, that the Huntingtons played that show and they, they ended up winning and they played a set with Joey that night. And that's on YouTube. It's a really cool set. But the, the backstory to that is we were one of the few bands that was actually from the area, from New York that was um, playing it. So Arturo asked me and my friend Victor, um, who was in that band and he's also in going places now, if we could come to his apartment like a few days before and help him get shit in order for the show and get everything ready. I was like, okay, cool. So we go to the apartment. That was exciting enough for me that I'm going to Arturo's apartment because I've read about this place in, in all the Ramones books and they said, you know, that's where they signed their first record contract and that's where, like, I think Joey and Dee Dee lived there at some point when, when the band was first getting started. So, like, I was psyched just to be going there. Yeah. And Arturo had, like, all these old Ramones videos that he was showing us and everything. And we're bullshitting with him. And then he happens to mention, he's like, oh, yeah, I got, we, we just got this band added to the show. They sound really good. And he shows me the CD, and it's the Huntington's file under Ramones. And I go, I go, oh my God, I, I know who the Huntington, because Arturo didn't know who they were. I said, I love these guys. They're like one of my favorite bands. I was like, well, that's the end of it. They're going to win the contest. Nobody plays the Ramones like the Huntingtons. Um, with him and the day goes on and then at some point his phone rings and i hear him you know talking he goes all right i'll see you in a little bit and he hangs up and then he just like casually says to me and victor he goes oh that was joey he's gonna come by in a little bit oh my god and, and like, you know what i mean like you, it's that moment where like your jaw just kind of drops like you know what i mean and sure enough like 20 minutes later joey showed up you know, if, if he was six foot tall, he was 15 feet tall. It seemed like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I walked in hair hanging in his face and, you know, I tried not to stutter too much and introduced myself to him. And he was a quiet, nice guy. I mean, you know, I, I got to talk to him for maybe like five minutes and then he was getting ready to go out to dinner with Arturo. And, you know, we weren't lucky enough to get the invite to that, but Hey, you know, getting to talk to him for a few minutes, you know, in Arturo's apartment was, was cool enough. So that is amazing, man. That's one hell of a story. <laughs> Fucking hell. Yeah. That's my story. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in, in this type of music in punk rock, you meet all the guys that you're fans of all the time. And it's like, it's not a big deal. Usually, you know what I mean? They're at the merch table afterwards or whatever, but Joey was the one where like, I felt, you know what I mean? Like you feel like a little bit nervous meeting the guy, even though like he doesn't, he's not, he didn't have an, a rock star attitude or anything, but he, you know, he's Joey Ramone. I couldn't help but feel nervous. 
Mm, I've heard that about him. Uh, one of my friends, you, actually, you probably know her. You know Kitty Kowalski? Um, she played that same show. Um, no, did she play that show? Or she played, an, she played another show that Going Places played at CB's. But yeah, I don't know her personally, but I know of her. Yeah. Yeah, she's a, she's a good friend of mine. And uh, she told when I stayed at her apartment in Manhattan back in uh, 2009, she just told me so many good Ramon stories about how you know, I, I was just sitting on the couch there, like listening to like, you know, the cool uncle or auntie that just tells you all the great stories. That's pretty much what it was like. Yeah. I'm just sitting on the couch, yeah. you know, it was my eyes are open while I was listening to her and she was saying, oh, you know, like Joey used to come by, uh, you know, and hang out here, you know, after tours and stuff and just tell me what he's been up to and how the tours went and stuff. And I'm sitting there going, what? <laughs> you just come over yeah. your house? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> and so she had a, a bunch of signed stuff. And she had this uh, the mm-hmm. massive photo uh, on her wall, like a poster of the Robert, uh, Roberta Bailey photo of um, Joey and Debbie in bed together doing the John and Yoko only thing. And it was signed right. by Debbie Harry. And she said to me, she goes, you know, it bums me out because Joey's been in this apartment God knows how many times and not once did I ask him to sign that. You know, and she yeah. goes, I thought it would have been really cool to have Debbie and Joey's signature on that. So, But you know what it probably was for her? Like if she was friends with him like that, she probably – like, would, would you ask your, your friend to sign something? I've, had it done. I've done that before. Have <laughs> you? Okay. I'm that guy. I'm saying, okay, okay. Because I was going to say, she probably looks at Joey as like, okay, this is just one of my friends. I'm not going to ask him to sign stuff. Who well, knows? She's friends with Debbie Harry too. So, I mean, you know, but uh, I guess it was just one of those things. And, I mean, she's, I guess, a, a, a stalwart of the New York punk scene because it seems like everybody knows who yeah. she is. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but she gave me the punk tour. That's how I saw uh, Arturo's apartment. Actually, he was there when we were there, but he had music going full blast from his his apartment. He couldn't hear the doorbell because she rang the doorbell uh, to see if we could go up. And uh, yeah, yeah, and it was yeah. just like you could just hear punk music blaring out of the fucking room uh, the up above us. He was just like, oh, okay, I guess that's Arturo's room. So, but he couldn't hear anything. But uh, that was that was funny. She showed me where the where the Rocket to Russia photo was taken behind CBs and uh, the first album where that was taken, etc. She showed me yeah. all those, you know, all the sites you want to see, Manitobas, you know. So nice. The wine store where Andy Chernoff works. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's so, awesome. It was cool, man. I love New York City. I think that when you walk around New York City, you actually feel that feeling of punk was born here. Like you feel it, like, because it's just got that – that vibe about it, you know, so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's changed over the years. I mean, you know, all the clubs and stuff, unfortunately have closed down and stuff, but it's still cool. I guess if you've never been to go around and see all the sites where, where stuff was at least at, at at some point. Mm, For sure. Yeah. And it's just like, it just seems like there's an endless, there's everything. You could be there for a year and still not see everything. Like there's just so much going on in that city. It's such a cool yeah. city to be in, and uh, you know you're you're lucky to be there. Have you ever been to a show and seen Debbie Harry in the audience? Uh, yes. Um, when well, I've I've seen her perform a couple of times, but she was in the audience at when Joey died. There was a they had like some kind of memorial service at uh at CBGB's, and I went to that, and she was like you said, just standing in the crowd, like people were getting up on stage and talking about him and telling stories. And she was there. I don't remember if, if she got up and talked at all, but 
it was one of those things where like I kind of hit my you know elbowed my friend next to me and said look who's you know two feet over or something like that and she was just standing there hanging out that's so amazing isn't it that like because when yeah. you think about Debbie Harry she's like the queen and it's like you know she's bigger than life and then to just see her at a punk show or just at a show in general like I remember speaking with rookie from the uh, young Rochelles and he told me that uh-huh. he's seen Debbie Harry at like local band shows might be 30 people in the audience and he, and Debbie Harry's there watching your band. It's like, Oh wow. wow. That's so fucking cool that she gives a shit. You know what I mean? Like she still cares. Yeah. She still goes out. She's, st- I mean, I've always said that she's still a punk at heart. Like no matter what people might think of their music, I believe she's still a punk at heart. I think she still has punk values. I, th- I still think she probably listens to a lot of punk music. I think her, she's very connected to that scene, whether people want to agree- accept that or agree with it or not. But yeah. So, yeah, I mean, just because if her music changes over the years, it doesn't mean, like you said, she's not still connected to that original style of music or or it has that still uh, state of mind or whatever. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think her and Chris are definite, still definitely punk at heart. Or even Clem Burke, you know, I mean, Clem plays in yeah. pretty much anything. So and he's one of the best fucking drum, punk drummers out there. So, yeah, yeah. I still keep forgetting to listen to those shows. I got told to listen to the Clem Burke shows on YouTube where someone's put up audio from when he was in the Ramones for those two gigs. Yeah. I haven't listened to that I, yet. I've heard, I've heard, I don't know if I listened to the whole thing, but from what I remember, like it's pretty raw, the audio. Like it's, it's you know, it's, it's definitely bootleg quality. But I, I do remember you could hear like some fuck ups here and there and maybe he played through the end of a couple of songs and, finishes it with like some weird little drum roll or something like that but yeah. it wasn't the, 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 believe me it's it, it wasn't that that's another thing that's like part of ramon's legend like you were talking about the gun and everything before with specter i think like if you read all these books and they mention when clem played with them they'll say like the shows were a nightmare and he couldn't handle it or whatever or he wasn't ready from what i heard on those those tapes it, it, yeah, did he make mistakes? He made mistakes, but it wasn't like you listened to it and the band was falling apart or anything like that. Yeah, it's also like, I mean, you're talking about a guy who's got some serious, you know, chops on him, like when it comes to drumming, like he has to pull it back to be in the Ramones. I mean, yeah. Clem Burke, if you you listen to a song like Dreaming, you know, by Blondie, which is basically a drum feel yeah. through the whole song, and then you're going, oh, yeah, now you've just got to play four on four with eights on the hi-hats. Yeah. I mean, he's going to be like, what? <laughs> Like, yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, and and from if, if all the the legends and stories are true, like he was given like hardly any notice, I think, right, to learn yeah. their whole set and everything. So yeah, he's not going to know thirty or thirty two songs perfectly. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm sure if if they would have stuck it out with him, I, I bet you it would have worked out in the end. But I think you know it, it was it was good that Marky ended up coming back. Yeah, of course. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I mean, look, yeah. Clem went on to be in, you know, Blondie got back together and they fucking still playing to this day. So he's done pretty good yeah. for himself. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's not he's not walking around telling people, I, I, I was a Ramon for two days and they're like, get out of here, you drunk or, you know. <laughs> yeah, he, he did okay like, for himself. <laughs> he can just go, I'm in Blondie. And everyone's like, yeah, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah.
be my girl. You're gonna be my girl. I mean, so you said you were in a band before going places. What band was that that you were playing in? Is there anything notable? That Did you do any releases or anything? No, nothing that anybody would have heard of. Um, we were called Rob Wioza. Um, it was like more of like a bad religion type sound. And we like self-released an album that we recorded ourselves. But it really, we didn't do much than play like, you know, local shows and a few out-of-state shows and stuff like that. So that was like my first taste of playing in a band. And I did that for a few years with, you know, guys that I went to high school with. And then after that, me and Victor, who sang in Rob Wioza, me and Victor uh, started going places with our friend Richie. And that's basically what I've been doing for the past on and off, I guess, for the past uh, 20 years. Yeah, it's a long time, man. It's a long time. Like, I yeah. noticed that uh, your releases are so far apart from each other as well. Yeah. And so I guess what yeah. you're saying by on and off, you know, like, yeah. Is that just like what what causes those? Is it just life just gets in the way and so you guys hang it up for a while? Or is it do you get together and jam still regularly or what happens? Yeah, I mean, basically, yeah, like at, like like you said, it's been 20 years and we're just getting ready now to put out our third album. So it's ridiculous, the gaps in between the albums. But like when we put out the second album, you know, people said, oh, Going Places is back together. And we're now we're putting out this one and people said they're back together. And then the truth is we never uh, like officially broke up or anything. Like, yeah, we might have gone years without playing a show or anything, but we're constantly talking to each other. We're still like best friends and everything and talking about doing stuff. But yeah, it's basically like you said, life just kind of gets in the way. And, you know, we, we did the first record. You know, we tried as much as we could to push it. And then, like you said, you, you grow up, you get a job, who got married, who had kids, and, you know, you keep saying we're going to do another album, and we never did, and then we finally got our shit together and did the second album, and then the same thing, it just kind of slowed down again, and then you talk about it, and, th- you know, there's false starts here and there where you start rehearsing to record a new album, and then that falls apart, and then maybe a year later you start again, and I guess everything just has to come together at the right time, which is what happened about two years ago when we started working on the most recent album. Wow. What a story. But that's so cool. I mean, yeah. I, I can say this though, man, like three albums is better than my previous band. We were together for 21 years and didn't release one record. We released a bunch of EPs and that was it because I had this, I had this fear uh, that if I release an album that the band will break up. <laughs> like, like, you know, like Why would a, you think that? Like there's like the one album curse that people have where like where bands have like they release one record and then they just break up because it's like I guess nobody pays enough attention and then that's it. So I don't know it's so fucking uh, stupid. Nah, you, dude, you can't worry about that. If you're if you're if you're playing this type of music and you're worried about people paying attention, then yeah, you're gonna have problems. Nobody pays attention. <laughs> Yeah, I was more, we, we were, the old, the old band that I was in sounded like Motorhead. It was just, but it was just one of those things where, you know, you play so fast that people just get burnt out and yeah. it's, it's hard. It's really hard for, you know, for that to, uh, to sustain for a long period of time. Drummers get burnt out. I've noticed that drummers really do get burnt out <laughs> playing fast all the time. Oh, yeah. So. But, you know, we started, uh, I mean, we put the Thorough Things back, uh, well, together I started writing songs probably four years ago, five years ago. I just started writing ideas and recording little bits and pieces here and there. And then it wasn't until uh, like this year that we actually started rehearsing as a full band. Uh-huh. So it's just 
So like it is, man. It's life. Life just gets in the way of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking. Life. But you know what? It's because we're not. I mean, it's not our our job or anything. So we're. It's not like we're. You know, we got to get this album out. We're no, we're not making money doing this. We're losing money doing it. So you know, unfortunately, it's not going to be the priority. So you just find time when you can. Yes. I wish it was the priority, but you know, that's not reality. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things that uh, that I did see was pretty cool, though, is that uh, your album, uh, The Girl Songwriting 101, that, uh-huh. is that the first one, right? That was the first album, yeah. Yeah, yeah like you, you recorded that with Mass, which is exciting. Yep. Um, yep. And you had Joe Queer sing on it, I believe. Yep, yep. So, like, I mean, yeah, run us through, like, how that was working with Mass, because I've interviewed Mass before, and it seems like he he's – yeah, I, I want to get somebody else's uh, insight onto how you know how how he records because I know how he does it. But yeah, anything you can let us know about how that all happened? Yeah, yeah. Um, so at that time, the way that all came together was we had started the band and we had recorded two demos ourselves at home, and we were just like giving them out at local shows that we were playing and stuff. And my friend Matt. I remember saying to me, he's like, you should send this to Mass. This sounds like all the bands that he produces. And I was like, and I said, yeah, but those are real bands. He he wouldn't want to work with us or anything. And he's like, well, what could it hurt? Just send it to him. So I mailed him the demos and surprisingly he wrote back and, and he was like, yeah, I like what you guys are doing here. I'd be interested in working with you, you know, if you wanted to come out here. And then around that same time I had sent Joe the demos, you know, and this was like, I guess in the early stages of the internet. So we weren't like emailing or anything. We were actually like mailing CDs to people and writing letters back and forth. Yep. And, and one day, you know, I, I, I was still at home living in my parents' basement. I remember when the phone rang and I hear Joe, he's like, Hey Frank. And I go, yeah. And he's like, Hey, it's Joe from the queers. I'm like, Oh shit. What's up? Like I was like half asleep and like fucking Joe queer is calling me and waking me up. Nice. In my mom's basement. Um, but, you know, we just started bullshitting. And, you know, and then I found out that the queers were, we were scheduled to go record our album in January of 2002. And I knew that the queers were right around that time going to be recording um, Pleasant Screams at Sonic Iguana. So I said to Joe, because he had heard the demos and stuff. And I said, you know, if you're going to be there, like, if, if by some chance you're there when we get there, do you think you could sing on a song or something? And he said, and I think he's like, no, we're going to be gone by then. Cause I think they were ended up being there in like November or December. But he said, um, he's like, but I'll do it. And he's like, you just got to mail me the tapes afterwards. So that all happened afterwards. We ended up mailing him, uh, the tapes and he recorded it in Boston. He recorded his vocal in Boston with, um, Jim Tierney, who used to do his stuff in Boston when he was still living there. Did get a girl to yourself. 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 Tell me that I got a school I always wonder why. Girls I wanna go out with a geeky just a guy. My mom's so long good looking she said girls will come my way. But 21 years later this is what I have to say. Yeah.
recording at sonic iguana i mean for guys like us who like grew up on this stuff on like lookout records and screeching weasel and the queers and everything it was uh, like 20 years later or whatever it is now like i still talk about it like a dream come true because we drove there you walk into this place and i don't know if you've ever seen pictures but mass had like every album that he produced like the cd and the artwork framed and hanging on the wall yeah. and everything yeah. and you you know your head's just spinning. And then Phil from the Teen Idols was working there at the time as the engineer. So you walk in, you're meeting Mass, you're meeting Phil. We ended up, we lived, he has an apartment above the studio. So we stayed there for, I don't remember if it was six or seven days while we were doing the record. And it's really just like a dream come true, the whole experience, because you, you wake up, you literally walk downstairs, you're hanging out with these two guys who you've been listening to for years. You're making music which you know is my favorite thing in the world to do and you're hearing stories about all the other bands that you love like they're telling you stories about screeching weasel because they were playing in screeching weasel at the time or they're playing us the rough mixes for pleasant screams you know what i mean we're hearing nice. like uh, i want to be happy six months before anybody else did or something like that you know what i mean so but awesome. all that shit yeah and it's like you know rich uh, our guitarist richie's in there like fiddling on the guitar and playing. I think he started playing like guest list or something like that. And I remember Phil saying to him, Oh, you're playing it too high or too low or something like that. He's like, here, Vapid showed me how he played it on the album and then like showing him how to do it. And it's like all this stupid shit. And it's just like, you, you step back and you go, what the fuck are we doing here? Like, how did this happen? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's why so it, it was, it, it was, it was an experience for sure. And we, I, we got to meet Jesse Michaels while we were there because he was coming to town to do the second Common Rider album. Wow. Um, so, like, another thing, like, the same way, like, I told you that story before with Arturo where, like, he casually said, like, oh, Joey's coming over. It was, like, the same thing. Like, we're recording one day, and Mass is like, oh, yeah, Jesse's coming to town because we're going to start, like, I think pre-production on Common Rider, so he's going to get here in a few days. And we're like, Oh shit. Like Jesse Michael. Okay. No big deal. Jesse Michaels is going to come. And like, I don't remember him hanging at the studio really, but I remember going out to dinner with him one night. Wow. Um, so it was, it was crazy. Yeah. Did you just bug him crazy. about stories about operation Ivy and then just tell him why did you record the song bad town? Cause it's the worst one on the record. <laughs> I, I can't remember like specifically <laughs> pestering him that much. The one thing that sticks in our head that we still laugh about is that, he said to us, because we're from Staten Island, New York, and I remember him asking us, is Staten Island an actual island? And like, so that's, <laughs> our inside, that's our inside joke now. And I, I might be wrong. I think I remembered reading somewhere that Operation Ivy might have played Staten Island. I mean, if they did, it was way before my time. But I, I don't know if he was ever actually on Staten Island or not. But that was that's what we remember of our experience with him, was just him asking that, is Staten Island an actual island. <laughs> that should be the next, the name of your next album for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cause, uh, right. you know, I mean, and getting to do guest vocals on it, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what? That actually, 
Mass had mentioned that when he goes, he's like, Jesse's going to be here soon. He goes, maybe we could get him to come to come to the studio and do some guest vocals. And we were like, holy shit. So then we were like trying to figure out like, what, what could Jesse Michaels do on this album? And, you know, it, like I said, he didn't end up coming to the actual studio while we were there. It was just that we hung out with him at dinner. But like, we still laugh about it now because, you know, I don't know how familiar you are with our stuff, but it's more like vocal and harmony oriented and mm-hmm. not his style is more rapping and a little bit heavier i guess uh especially on the common rider stuff like he was doing like that rapping thing a little bit but i don't think it would have worked with any going places stuff but you know i'm if he believe me if he would have came and said he would have done something we would have shoehorned it in there and got it to work whether or not yeah yeah for sure (laughs) get it just to do a like pick it up pick it up like somewhere on the song exactly yeah (laughs) yeah we just like rearranged one of our stupid three chord pop punk songs into like a ska song and and I'm glad that didn't happen, Frank. I'm glad that didn't happen. We don't need more scar punk. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I like Operation Ivy. I, I listened to that record. Uh, you know, nowadays I probably listen to it like once a year. It doesn't get a, as many plays as it used to. But I remember when it came. You know, when when Screeching Weasel and all those bands broke big in the early '90s, like Operation Ivy was the band that people raved about. Uh, this is you know uh, pre rancid as well. Like you know you hadn't we hadn't heard rancid yet, but people were raving about this Operation Ivory band and you know going on about ska punk and stuff. And I didn't really understand what ska punk meant. And then uh-huh. I bought the the seven inch the you know with the was it here we go again and all that on. I forgot to remember the name. What's the seven inch called? I can't remember. Hectic. Hectic. That's it. So I bought that seven inch and uh, I got a home and I was listening to guys. So this is what scar punk is. And I liked it. (laughs) I did like it. And then I bought the album and then I was really disappointed. Like when I, I mean, I liked the album, but when it got to that song, bad town, I was just like, Oh my God, what is going on here? Why is this song on here? I just thought it was like so boring and it just really killed the vibe of that, that album that I was really enjoying. But whatever, that's just me being, uh, uh, you know, annoying over a young kid annoyed with a song that I can't connect with. But I'm sure people love that song. And to this day, when I listen to that record, I, I still it. sit there and have to skip that one because I just can't get into it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I like it. I, I, mean, I, I love that whole record. And like you said, I don't listen to them as much as I used to. When I first started getting into music, that was, you know, a huge band for me. And like a lot of people my age, probably, I got into them because of Green Day, because mm-hmm. they did the cover. And I said, well, what is this? And then I had to go back and find it. But, like, I feel like they're, uh, they were like a gateway band, kind of. Like, it, it seemed like, at least for the people in my group or my area that were getting into this stuff at the time, like, okay, we're, now we're into punk rock. Let's figure this out. That was, like, the one band that, like, you had to kind of start with, it seemed like. And everybody had that one record. Everybody had the Operation Ivy record. And and even though I don't listen to it all the time now, I still absolutely love it. If I put it on, I could sing every word from front to back, and it still gives me those chills that it did years ago. That's That was a huge record for me. I know things are getting tougher when you can't get the top off the bottom of the barrel. What up and wrong with future now? Looking fucking new.
Yeah, I mean, I, I I still think Knowledge is one of the best openers. Like, it's such a fucking great song to open an album with yeah. just because it's so yeah. fucking punk rock and it's the only song like that on the record because all the others are scary and then you've got this one, which is just a right. straight-out punk tune, and I fucking love yep. that. So I love that song. And, I mean, I'm like you. The very first time I ever heard about Operation Ivy was on the Slappy EP. I bought that 7-inch in, like, 91 or something, and I didn't know what – that, you know, but I read in there it was an Operation Ivy cover, and so I'd heard the name Operation Ivy, but I didn't know anything about them. I didn't go out and search for their records until people started saying, "No, you got to listen to Operation Ivy." And then I was like, "All right, I'll buy the fucking seven inch." And then I bought it, and I love that seven inch. I think that seven inch is great. You know, like the, that first yeah. song. What's the first song it called? Um, the first one on fucking hectic. God, that's that seven inch is fucking killer. Oh man. See, I know, I know them. I just had the CD. Like when I got into them, it was the the CD energy, which was the 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 everything together. It was the album and the seven inch all together. So yeah. I never experienced the seven inch by itself. Yeah. Well, because I mean, no the, the big three at the time was like you know you had Operation Ivy, Green Day, and Screeching Weasel. They were the big three lookout bands at the you know before punk broke in '94. That was like yeah. the big three. So you would like, I mean, I remember the the day that I got into Green Day. You know, still vividly in my mind the day that I discovered them, which would have been 91. And I remember mm-hmm. the first time I heard Screeching Weasel. Like, you know, I mean, I those those days are so ingrained in my head because it was like a, a, a an awakening. You know, it's like, yeah. holy shit, music like this exists. You know, and yeah. to hear an album like My Brain Hurts, like that was the first Weasel album I heard. And I heard that just as it came out. And I just remember being shown it in the record store and it really did just like my brain just flipped like i had never heard anything like it you know because it wasn't like the ramones even though it is very ramonesy but it's not like the ramones but uh-huh. it just seemed like there was something more to it than um you know obviously the the two guitar attack the all the harmony guitars and shit and just the song yeah, yeah those little leads yeah yep. Like it's all based in the Ramones, but it's not Ramonesy in like the Ramones. I think the Riverdales is very Ramonesy, but Screeching Weasel, I don't think we're as Ramonesy as people say they are. I think there's more oh, more to them. I than agree. That. And that's why I hate like these days people throw the term like Ramones core around all the time. And some people will probably will call Screeching Weasel Ramones core. And I go like when I hear the Ramones core, I think Okay, a band that you might mistake for the Ramones. Would would you ever listen to Screeching Weasel and say, "Is this the Ramones?" Of course not. You know what I mean? Like you're saying, it, it it's influenced, but it's not the same thing. Mm. So, I agree with you. Um, although, I mean, I think the Ramones core term, I, I it's a good catch-all so that if people are looking for music that is Ramonesy, they will find those bands that aren't Ramonesy as the Ramones are, but still have everything about the spirit of the music, like Screeching Weasel. So I'm hoping that if, you know, for example, if a kid's never heard Screeching Weasel before, but he is flicking through the Ramones core hashtag on Instagram, he's going to discover Screeching Weasel and it's going to be one of his favorite bands. You know, like, I, I, yeah. I like it as a catch-all phrase, but I mean, yeah, it's very, it's also very misleading.
it seems like from what you're saying, you were into this stuff obviously earlier than me. You know, I'm I'm a guy like a lot of people my age. I was born in 1980, so Dookie was it was and still is the defining moment in my life. That was like, I define it like before and after Dookie. That's what changed everything for me. Mm-hmm. But I, when I was getting into everything, it was pop punk. And I still use that term now. And it, it seems like at some point in the last 10 years, it became Ramon's core instead. I don't know if that's because pop punk ended up going with these other bands like that got on the radio. Like, I don't know. What I think that's probably what happened. Like, I think the term got thrown around so much, uh, pop punk, that, like, for example, you know, a band like Mayday Parade will be classified as pop punk, but they sound uh-huh. nothing like Screeching Weasel. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, it, I think it, it's it, it's just a pop punk is an even bigger catch-all term that just any punk yeah. music that is catchy, I guess, gets thrown right. into the pop punk thing. But if that if that's the case, then fucking half of the seventies punk was pop punk because most of that is based on harmonies and catchiness. <laughs> of course, yeah. Well, that that's the funny thing. Like all those bands that that I loved, and you know, Screeching Weasel and the Queers and the Mr. T Experience, you know, were called pop punk, but people just called the Ramones punk. But mm. it was all in the same bubble, kind of. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's very very poppy. Very poppy. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, but I fucking I, I don't know. I love it all, really. I and that's the other thing as well. Like you know, people. I'm one of those music listeners that just loves it. Like, no, I wouldn't say I love everything because obviously I don't. I don't listen to corn, but I, you know, I like. I just like a lot of different music, and you know, I'm not one of those people who are so purist about Ramones core or pop punk right. or whatever. I mean, I just like what I like, and if I hear a good song, I don't give a fuck who's singing it. A good song is a good song. So, you know, I'll listen to everything, you know, just that I, well, I just say everything because it's easier to say than, you know, except for this genre and except for this genre. I don't listen to tracksuit metal. That's what I don't listen to. Don't listen to tracksuit metal. So. I I agree with you. A good song is a good song. The genre, like, you know, I, I will listen to pop songs on the radio, you know, I mean, I don't listen to the radio much, but if my wife is listening to something and something catches my ear and it's like, a Katy Perry song or something, I'm not going to just say I don't like it just because it's on the radio. If it's catchy and it's a good hook, uh, okay, I'm all in. You know oh, what I mean? Fuck yeah. Who hasn't sang along to I Kissed a Girl and I Liked It? Like, who hasn't they, done that? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you'd be lying yeah. if you said, oh, I've never done that. Bullshit. Man, as long as that song's right. on, you're you're there fucking popping. It's like people who say that Toxic by Britney Spears is a terrible song. It's like, no, it's not. That's a fucking jam. And no doubt when it's on, you yeah. fucking sing along to it because it's fucking killer. <laughs> right. I, dude, I'm with you 100%. You know what I mean? A, a hook is a hook. You know, it might not be cool to say it. Maybe, you know, maybe it's all manufactured. And, yeah, that's all true. And it's just about the money. but that's fine. You don't have to agree with their business ethics or whatever, or how it all came together. But if it's good, it's good. It so, has its place. I don't, I don't give a shit. It definitely has its place. Yeah. Not, not everything has to be punk rock. Not every, cause if it was, if it was all punk rock, you'd be pretty fucking sick of it because everybody would be listening to it. And how, how pissed off were you when everyone was a green day fan? It's like, Oh, that's our music. You know, why yeah. are you listening to that? No, you know, you know that, that happened. You know, it, it, it happened, but I, I mean, I didn't experience that with Green Day because, like I said, I came to it when everybody did. You know what I mean? So I can't sit here as a purist or something and say, I was listening to 39 Smooth when that first came out. I wasn't. I remember being 
13 years old, seeing Longview on MTV and going, what the fuck is this? And like going into school the next day, I was in eighth grade. And I remember like finding the one kid that was in, in my class that was into Nirvana. And cause that was like the only knowledge I had of rock music at the time of going, did you see this video where this guy was ripping up the couch? Like what the hell was that? That was awesome. So I didn't know Green Day before any of that, but I've seen other bands blow up from, you know, the underground scene. And I never cared if other people start listening to them, like good for them. You know what I mean? If they're getting exposed and stuff like that, that's what a musician wants for the most part. That's what most bands want. They want to be heard. You exactly. know what I mean? I'm not going to shit on somebody for that. Exactly. I, that's what I said in the, in the, the last interview I did with, uh, with Henry from the, the tape label is that like we were talking about yeah. how to us that, like it seems so stupid to go on like you know the major label thing was a big thing in in the 90s like like yeah. you know like punk before dookie like you know it was like no major labels but then you go well hang on a second the ramones have been on a major their whole fucking career and they're yeah. like the best band ever so i don't understand your ideology the damned all these bands you know have all had their time on major labels you know i don't see the the Sex Pistols were on a major label, and then they'll go, ah, oh, yeah, but they're a boy band, and what? It's like, fuck off, man. That record rules. <laughs> yeah, and, and not only were the Ramones on a major label, their whole goal was to have a hit song, exactly, and to be a, a massive band. So that's the funniest thing is that it spawned all these other bands, like you know, Screeching Weasel and all these other underground bands, and they had you know, these ethics of, you know, it's going to be DIY and all this stuff, but your their heroes wanted to be the biggest band in the world. Mm. That, that was their goal. You know what I mean? To make, to be millionaires and make all this money. Yep. So I don't know where that all came from. I guess maybe it's easy. Like it, if you're in a band that's failing and not going anywhere, it's, it's easier just to pretend and say, well, we don't want to be successful. So that's why, that's why we're playing these shows to 20 people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I struggle with that, uh, with being famous anyway. I'd never, I don't think I could, be, I could do it. I don't have the mental stamina to be in a famous band. Like uh, I'd love to do what, um, what Butch Walker does, the producer Butch Walker, who did the last Green Day record. He uh-huh. he makes all his money from producing albums. I mean, he does concerts and stuff, but, you know, he came to Melbourne and did a solo show and played at the Northgate Social Club, which isn't very big. It's tiny. Probably holds like 100 people, 150 people, maybe 200. But, you know, he played there and it was like he, he enjoys playing those shows because while he makes all his money producing, you know, Pink and Taylor Swift yeah. – and all the Katy Perry and whatever, like he can produce all these people. That's how he makes all his money. But then he can go and play an intimate show and be okay with it. That's how I would like to, if I was ever going to get in that position, that's how I would like to do it because I couldn't deal with traveling all the time because I fucking hate flying, even though I do it, but I hate it. And I have to take Xanax to get on a plane. Uh, I don't like, I have too much anxiety to deal with, with attention, uh, that sort of attention. So yeah, yeah. I'd be really awkward with it. And like, you know, a friend of mine who plays in a band that's quite successful actually turned to me and said, because you should be a guitar tech. And I said to him, I said, dude, I would be dead within a year because think about all the Xanax I would have to take to fucking <laughs> get from city to city on a plane because I'm so fucking scared of flying. And he goes, oh, I didn't think of that. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're saying that's the one thing you don't, that's one of the things you hate the most is traveling, then yeah, I don't think working for a, an active road band would be a, uh, would be for you but i i see where you're coming from like i don't think i would want to deal with the the like recognition like not being able like to go out and walk around anywhere like 
like the guys in Green Day, or Billy at least, I'm sure, like gets recognized when he's out and about. Like, you know, I wouldn't want to deal with that. But to to be able to make your living playing music, I I, I wouldn't want you know pass that up. That that would yeah. be pretty good. That's what I mean. Like I'd like to be, uh, I'd like my music to sell or to make uh, money other ways within the industry, like what Butch Walker does. But yeah, I wouldn't be able yeah. to deal with fame. Like I know, I know I wouldn't be able to deal with it. I just, I just know my personality and I know, you know, my levels of anxiety and stuff. I wouldn't be able to deal with fame. Like I don't know how Taylor Swift does it. Like poor girl, like, you know, she can't fucking leave her house, you know, without billions yeah. of fucking paparazzi fucking following. Like I don't understand on a star of that magnitude, how they are able to, you know, do things like it must be so fucking hard and everyone goes, Oh, but they've got all this money, but at what cost you don't have a life anymore. Like your life is yeah. in the public eye. Every little thing you do is scrutinized. And because gossip magazines pride themselves on dirt, they don't pride themselves on telling people about the great stuff you're doing. They pride themselves on fucking dirt. So they're always looking for something to shit on you with. And I hate that. Yeah. Yeah. You got to probably be watching at any time you're out, you know, watching who who's looking who's seeing who's taking a picture and it's it's got to be a miserable way to live i'm sure mm. yeah definitely but the, the good news is for for guys like you and me we play stupid pop punk that will you know it, it got popular 25 years ago and more than likely it'll never be popular again so i don't think we have to worry about getting any kind of fame from from this type of music yeah <laughs> yeah and that's why one of the things i i interviewed dr frank once and we talked about that about green day mm-hmm. and I still, I, it still amazes me that they've been able to still continue on at the level that they have uh, for so long. I think that's incredible because not many bands, yeah. especially punk bands, get to do that and be big for that long. Like well, every album they do is like huge. Second, yeah. Well, well, I don't know that every album has been huge, but they've had a second coming. And, you know, like I noticed with you, I, I listened to the episode that you did with Henry last weekend, how you said you're like ride or die with Green Day and you're there for every album. And I'm the same way. Like a lot of people shit on them. and But I anything they do, I'm going to buy and I'm going to listen to. That's just I'm going to do that till they decide to call it a day. But I think the reason that they've had such a career is because they've had different generations come in and out. Like I remember when American Idiot came out, I saw them the day it came out at a, at a place in Manhattan called Irving Plaza. And it's nice. a small place and it was tough to get tickets and they played the album from front to back and it was great, but the album wasn't a hit or anything yet. And then I think like a year later, the album had gotten big and um, one of my friends saw them at Giant Stadium and he came home from the show and he told me, he's like, it's the weirdest thing. He goes, they're, they played the songs from Dookie and nobody was responding, but then they played the like you know Boulevard of Broken Dreams and Holiday, and the place went nuts. And we realized like it's a new crop of kids now that are into them that didn't know Dookie. You know what I mean? It's so weird. Yeah, and that's that's why they had that career because it's they, they you know they've gone in and out so many times. Yeah, they're very lucky. And the fact is, is that yeah. they're just amazing songwriters. Like having yeah. Billy Joe in your band must be a fucking blessing, man. Like, and he seems like he's prolific. Oh, they just don't stop. Like, I think that's really cool. And one of the other things is, is that you can tell they're all still really good friends. You know? Yeah, so, because they, when when they're not doing Green Day, it's like you probably heard last week or whatever. They put out the new Network album mm-hmm. or whatever they do, Foxborough Hot Tubs or they. They're not like okay, we're we're off the road. Fuck you! I'm not going to talk to you until we tour again. They're they're still friends. It seems like, and you know, if it's not Green Day, then it's something else they're going to do together. Exactly. Uh-huh. At your funeral, 
can see that you know they just they just don't stop like that's and that's a great way to be I, I like you know the Bronx are the same way like when the Bronx aren't doing the Bronx are doing the mariachi band and it's like it's so fucking cool that they can still just keep going you know and kill yeah. still keep doing stuff I love it when you know because it shows if you're if you're artistic and prolific in that way you're going to find ways to just keep going because you know you, when you stop doing shit you your life start falling life start falling apart because you find you've, you right. know, your purpose is music. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I know it's cool. I like, I mean, I'm stoked that Green Day just keep churning out stuff and their other bands keep churning out stuff. It's just more for me, more for me to enjoy. I like it. And, and, and people rag on them so much. And yeah, I'm not going to sit here and say that, like, you know, Father of All Motherfuckers is as good as Insomniac or something like that. I'm, you know what I mean? But, it doesn't make the other records any less good. Like people have this attitude sometimes. Like if, if green day puts out a bad album, fuck them. Like I'm over green day. Well, why? Like if you love them at one point and those records meant so much to you. So what if you don't like the new album, it doesn't change how important the other stuff was and you're missing out on, maybe you're not going to love everything on the new record, but there are some gems on every record they've ever put out and people just want to, write them off and, and it's stupid i know and i'm one of those people who championed the new album i love it i think it's a good record i know that people were just like what the fuck is this but i can't help it man i like those songs i i uh, i think you know there's a uh, fire ready aim or whatever it is like that fucking song kills and like um the the last song on the record is really fucking good and sounds like a wild hearts ripoff uh which is uh, which is amazing and i think a lot of people uh, that are Wild Hearts fans wrote to Ginger from the Wild Hearts and said, did you hear Green Day fucking stole your whole fucking vocal melody? And Ginger <laughs> goes, well, I stole it off this guy. So he goes, so maybe, you know, like maybe Billy Joe yeah. listened to the same record. So... Broken promises and broken 
Dude, the song that it's it's been several months. It's been a while since I listened to Father of All Motherfuckers, but the one that stood out to me was Meet Me on the Roof. I remember liking that song. Yeah, yeah, that's good too. I like them all. Yeah. I mean, I just think that, you know, and even that, that real fucking rock and roll one, the one that sounds like Chuck Berry or something like that, I, fucking, I think it's the first song on side two. I can't remember the name of it, but it's a fucking great song. It's a quickie, you know. I like the fact that the album's really short too. I think it... Yeah, it's very short. Yeah, it definitely serves its purpose, like being there. I don't think those songs need to be longer. They don't. Like they, they get in and out and they do the job that they're supposed to do, which is a get in, entertain, leave. And I know people are like, people are just like, how can you fucking like that? I like it so much, man. I bought both variants. All right, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got, I got, I had to get the explicit one. I actually, you know what? Now that I'm thinking of it, I think I had to get it through and shipped from Australia because I think it sold out here in the States and I had to pay like some crazy shipping to get it shipped from Australia. The one that actually said motherfucker or whatever on the cover. Oh, I don't know if my, I, I can't even remember if I've even looked to see if it says motherfucker on the cover. I just bought the record the day it came out, bought the neon pink one, got it home, cranked it up. And I was just like, Holy shit. And uh, I loved it straight away. Even though I'd heard the song, the, mm-hmm. the title track I'd heard or whatever. Is it the title track? The one that's, where he's singing in falsetto or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, that song. I, li- I like that song. As soon as I heard it, I thought, fuck, this is cool. Who's this? And then I realized, oh, it's Green Day. You See, know? that's the thing. It, it's it's a decent enough song, but like you said, who's this? So, like, when you, when you heard that song, you got to admit, like, you were like, if, if you didn't know it was Green Day, you might not have even... You know what I mean? Recognized it. it. It was it was different, at least for me. Yeah, absolutely. Like, the only time that I really picked yeah. up that it was Green Day was when he got to the uh, the bridge. You know, some da 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 baby, like that bit. I realized I said, "Is that Billy Joe?" Like, yeah. That's when I started realizing this is Green Day. I think, and I remember because it came yeah. on the radio at work, and I'm just like hearing it and thinking, like, you know, that da 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 da. I'm like, yeah. What is this? And then yeah. you know, at the end, they go, that's brand new Green Day. And I was just like, holy shit, there's a new Green Day record. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I was I was excited. I didn't care. Like I was just excited. It's Green Day, you know. It's one of those bands. Yeah, We've I, all got I'm, that band. I'm with you. I'm with you. If, if, if they put out a record and prefaced it by saying, our new album is horrible, it's the worst thing we've ever done, I would still buy it the day it came out. You know what I mean? Like, I'm that fucking stupid, I guess, but I'm, I'm with them till till the end so mm-hmm. i heard the uh, a rumor so i don't know how much weight is in this rumor but apparently because that album was the last album on the contract they just threw a whole pile of stuff together just to get get it out and get off the contract which i don't know if yeah. there's any weight to that because the network is signed to the same fucking label so <laughs> yeah i i don't i i did hear that same rumor that like that they were purposely releasing a shitty album because it was going to get them out of their contract, and then the next thing they would self-release. But like you said, the network's on the same label, and I don't know, I don't know how that deal works. If like if it's all part of the same thing or what. If I don't know if the network is part of Green Day's record deal or or if Warner just puts that out as a favor to them, I'm not sure. The way I read into it was that the label, if they hated the label that much that they wanted to get off the label then why would they say, oh, by the way, you know, we hate your label. We hate the fact that we can't, you know, we don't have creative control or whatever. But here, have our next network record. Like, to me, it just seems silly. Like, why wouldn't you go to a different yeah. record label, you know, with that of album course. if you were so unhappy with yeah. the label? So That's I, true. 
yeah, I don't know how much weight is in that that story, but if that if if Green Day are now free agents to do whatever they want, they can just I I don't know why they don't release shit on their own label. They've got all the money in the world. They've got they're big enough now that they can do it. I mean, all they need is a distributor more than anything. I mean, people know who Green Day are. They don't need a label right. to push them anymore because everyone knows who Green Day are. So right, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. You know when. Uh whenever the next album comes I like i wonder what they're gonna do with this because obviously they had that tour like this record came out in i think it was january right and then they were supposed to do that big tour with weezer and fallout boy yeah but then covid happened so now like i wonder moving forward whenever they do tour again are they going to try to push that record or do they just like okay that record's dead and we move on to the next thing it's going to be interesting to see that is because if you remember when when the trilogy, when when Uno came out, they had to cancel the whole tour because he had to go into rehab. And then they kind of rushed out uh, the other two albums, Dose and Trey, a little bit ahead of schedule. But when he finally got clean and started touring, they were they called it the 99 Revolutions Tour and, and they pushed the trilogy at the time. So I don't know what they'll do you know, whenever they do tour, if, if Father of All Motherfuckers will get pushed or if now that'll be like the forgotten album. Yeah, I'm wondering. That's that is true. I'm wondering what they're going to do with that because I know that the tour was supposed to happen like a month ago here in Australia, yeah. and I had a ticket for it. I mean, it was fucking expensive, man. Like that was like, like okay, it's not the most I've ever paid for a ticket because uh, like Metallica, I think, but they cancelled anyway, so I couldn't even go to that show because uh, James went uh-huh. into rehab. It must be the thing, and uh, <laughs> so I didn't get to see that. Taylor Swift might have been the one before that. And or maybe it was Paul McCartney. I can't remember. It was oh, one, nice. one of those two. But I took my mum to see Paul McCartney because it was like her childhood crush, and you know she saw the Beatles in '64 and whatever. So I was like, oh, oh I'll wow, take you wow. to see Paul McCartney, you know. And she fucking had the time of her life. It was like watching my mum be a teenager again. It was so funny. She was like dancing for three hours. It was crazy. That's awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. It was it was a really good show. I too. saw Paul I'd, once. I got to see Paul McCartney once at Madison Square Garden, and it was unbelievable. Oh, that would have been rad as well, like seeing him there. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, he's still, I don't know, man. I mean, of course his voice isn't as great as it was. I mean, but the fucking guy's 78 years old or something, you know, give him a break. (laughs) I know. I mean, I would say, I mean, it was years. When I saw him, maybe it was 15 years ago, I want to say. I can't remember exactly. And he sounded phenomenal. I would say, like, I've noticed on uh, some, like, live TV appearances, maybe over the last seven or eight years, I've noticed his voice starting to fall off. But like you said, so what? The guy is, I don't know, whatever he is, 78 or so, he still sounds good for for, for that age. I mean, he still can sing. He, yeah, he's not going to sound exactly like the records, but fuck, it's better than I can do. <laughs> I know, that. and he's getting up there for three hours a fucking night playing these shows. Like he didn't have yeah. an encore. He just came out and fucking played. And my mum was like dancing yeah. constantly. Like I, I, you know, and she was just loving it. And I was like, well, that's what I wanted. You know, I wanted my mum to be yeah. happy to see, you know, like, I mean, this was what three years ago that he toured here. And it was, it was actually, the show was incredible. It really was. It was a really good show. And he played all the songs my mum wanted to hear, you know, like, and uh, I, I didn't know what to expect. I mean, I like the Beatles, but I'm not diehard for them like my mum is, but I, uh-huh. I can appreciate them. And so I, you know, my mum's like, oh, he's not playing in Adelaide, which is where she lives. 
And I said, well, come to Melbourne. And we'll go. And so she came mm-hmm. over to Melbourne and, you know, I bought the tickets and she had the time of her life. Remember this song? This year, KYA welcomes the Beatles back to San Francisco in a mammoth candlestick park spectacular. The date is Monday, August 29th, and the place is Candlestick Park. You'll see better, you'll hear better, too, with a special Beatles sound system. See the fabulous four in the last show of their biggest American tour. Be part of the fantastic KYA reception for the Beatles. Don't be left out. Get your tickets now, just five, six, and seven dollars, including all handling charges. Send your check or money order payable to KYA with a stop address stamped envelope. The time is now. The Beatles are coming and they want you there. Now, I have to ask, because I gave you some homework. Yes. <laughs> so, I, was all excited to, to, I was all excited to talk to you, and then last night you gave me a homework assignment. I'm like, I don't know if I want to fucking talk to this guy. This is He's giving me work. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I did, I, did, I, I, I did listen to the album. Awesome. So what we've done, uh, to those listening, is that I gave Frank homework. I gave him... He asked me he'd never heard the hard-ons music before. Um, I rave about them all the time. 
So they are like, you know, the Australian Ramones, I guess you could say, even though they sound nothing like the Ramones. But that's probably as close as we had at that time uh, because in 91 they opened for the Ramones in on the Australian tour. Um, the album that I got you to, to listen to was an album called Love is a Battlefield of Broken Hearts, which is what I think is their back in black. It's a, I think that's their best album. Uh, but that could be also because okay. that's a – it's not wasn't the first album I heard though, but it's just that when I heard that album, I heard it at a time in my life where I fell completely head over heels in love with it. Uh, the songs were just catchy. Uh, everything about it was just great. I needed that band in my life at that time. So, love is a battlefield of broken hearts. You listen to it for the very first time. Tell me, what did you think, Frank? All right. So I'll preface it with this: I, I listened to it literally once. So and and I listened to it, you know, while. I was busy with a couple other stuff, so I can't say I was 100% focused on it, but I did make a conscious effort to pay attention to each song. I enjoyed it, but the record seems all over the place to me, like in, like, I'll try to explain exactly what I'm talking about, in different phases. Like, I started listening to it, and the first two songs had somewhat of a familiar style, and I'm going, what, what does this remind me of? And for me, I thought the first two songs remind me of The Parasites. So I'm, I'm going, what, what is this? Okay, I'm going, okay, this, I think these songs remind me of the Parasites a little bit. All right, this is good. This is working. song was this weird instrumental yeah. and I'm not a Metallica fan but to me I said this sounds like a Metallica instrumental or something and then the fourth song was like the vocals over that same uh, instrumental riff so that, that was just weird to me and then it moved into like the middle of the record it, I started hearing like 
all, like all Roy's Revenge and Percolator era stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, if you were here, if you know what I'm, what I'm talking yeah, about, but of course. I, I started getting like, like that kind of vibe. towards the end of the album like the last two songs or so it went back into like the poppy stuff that it started with so it was it just seemed like a little bit like is that what all their albums are like all over the place like that yeah because to the hard-ons are are the hard-ons they just do what they do and it's uh you know that they are influenced by everything i mean they did they released two albums at one time right on the same fucking day and one of them is a death metal record and the other one uh is a pop album and they, they released them both okay. at the same time. And uh, people are like, what the fuck? And so they go, well, because really, when you see them live, they're just a powerhouse. They're one of the loudest bands you'll ever see. And they just fucking floor it. Like they just put on the most incredible show. And you just sit there watching it. And you feel like you've just been punched in the face by music. It's so intense. Uh-huh. And people fucking love them. They just fucking love them. And uh, Kesha's vocals... They're so sweet sounding. So when you're hearing these songs and, you know, like it's just his pop voice, it just over the top of these songs that you're like, wow, I don't know how they make this work, but it works. This is how we roll. This is how we roll. This is what's happening time and time. 
don't know, but yeah, yes, I mean, the albums are a bit all over the place, but that you know, on purpose. Yeah, so. I, yeah, see, see, I guess I just didn't know what to expect. I've heard the name forever. I've heard it, you know, obviously in this same circle of, you know, people that listen to all the same music as me have mentioned them. So I guess I just assumed it was going to be like all poppy stuff. And that's why <clears throat> those first two songs, like I said, were very poppy and reminded me of the Parasites. I said, oh, okay, I guess they're like just a straight up pop punk band. And then it just, took a left turn and I was like, what the hell are we doing here? Yeah. But I mean, you know, I enjoyed it and I could see myself, you know, checking out some other records. I mean, I don't know, like you said, there's a black metal record or whatever. I don't know if I'd dig that too much, but you know, the more poppy stuff I'd probably like. Yeah. It's, it's definitely um, interesting to take a walk through their career. I mean, they've worked with everybody like, you know, like when people in Australia, that are into independent music and that like it's it's been like a, a said many times by many critics and whatever that the hard-ons are probably one of the world's most successful independent bands because they're not on a major mm-hmm. they've done things their own way they've worked with everybody so henry rollins did a song with them and did an acdc cover with them uh let oh, them wow. be rock uh they did uh you know they've they did it with jerry a from uh poison idea they've done sh- uh, shit with him they did a uh, fucking played with Roland singing like, like oh, for wow. him, which is, uh, there's videos of it on YouTube. You can see Roland's fronting the hard-ons. It's fucking amazing. You know, like they've just been able to tour all over the world. They've, they've toured internationally, like, I don't know, like 16 to 20 times, you know, in their wow. career. Like they they can go to Europe every year if they want and play shows because Europeans love them. So it's, they like just I said, I know the name. Yeah, I've, I've definitely heard of them forever. It was just one of those bands that I had never gotten around to listening to. They're, they've got a single called Girl in the Sweater that it's the most Ramones it ever gets for the uh, the hard-ons. So if you listen to the song Girl in the Sweater, you'll see what I mean by it being as hard-ons, as, I mean, being as Ramones as it gets. So That that title sounds vaguely familiar. I, I wouldn't be. I might have heard that at some point throughout the years because it sounds kind of familiar. Or maybe I heard somebody covering it. I don't know. But it does sound a little familiar, the title.
Yeah, they've been covered by a lot of the bands that that we like. Like the Mangies cover them. Uh, oh, who else is uh, no fun at all? Have covered them. Fuck, there's been a bunch. I've got a. I, I, I actually have a bunch of bands that have covered hard on songs. So I was going to do a uh, a hard on tribute show where I played only covers of hard on songs because there seems to be a lot of them out there where people just fucking love covering their songs. So what song did the Mangies do? Uh, well, they they released on an actual studio release. They did "Me or You," a song called "Me or You," and on uh, which I think is on the what's it called Rocket to. They did a What's that album called? One that's got all the singles and B-sides and compilation oh, tracks? Rocket to You. I didn't ever want to lose you. I didn't ever want to make you cry. I didn't ever want to hurt you. Come on, baby, now say goodbye. Now I cry every single day. Um, so, and then when I saw them live, when I saw the Mangies live in the first time in Germany, they did a, a version of Don't Want to See You Cry, which is the first song on that album that you heard. Oh, okay. So, th- yeah, they've done, I think there's, is there one on the Acid Beaters record? Is there one on that? Oh, no, they do, um, they do Cheap Trick on that one. So Yeah, they do Surrender. Yeah. That's a cool, cool. Uh, I, I love that. I love the Mangies. They're so good. Such a good band. Yeah. yeah, I love uh, the new album, the song Tootsie Roll. I love the fact that you put it on and it's over so quickly. It's like 25 minutes long or something. It's so fast yeah. and quick, and but it's good. It's like a, it's the right length for that sort of music and for that sort of record. I mean, 12 tracks yeah. in 25 minutes, man, or something like That's great. Yeah, and you know what I, I love? I don't think it was actually on the album, but they before the album came out, they had the single, um, I forget what the A side was, but the B side was Ramones at Lollapalooza. Yeah, yeah, Did you yeah. hear that? Endless Detention was the that, single. Okay. Yeah, that's right. I love the concept for the lyrics of that song, like to, to write a song about being an outsider and describe it as you feel like the Ramones at Lollapalooza. Like, I just think that's so clever. That was such a good idea. It was, it was. I remember speaking to, um, Monty when I interviewed Monty Melnick about that. And I said, like, you know, when I asked him, I said, do you think the Ramones ever realized how important they were? And he said, not until Lollapalooza. And I said, what? <laughs> and he said, because they were playing live and there was on the side of the stage, you've got Soundgarden, Metallica, all these bands watching the Ramones. And they're fucking like, yeah, oh, these people give a shit about us. Like, what? Yeah. We're actually important to these people. So, yeah, it's a shame that it took it's them that long. It, I know. And, and it really sucks that, like, they didn't get to to see it 
you know, at least Joey didn't get to see it. Like, I feel like they've gotten more popular, you know, after he passed and everything. And yeah. I, I've also always been curious if how many of them or if they were aware of, like, the underground scene that, like, like I know, like, Johnny was happy that, like, people like Pearl Jam and Metallica liked them and stuff because he was all about the fame and everything like that. But mm. I wonder if they were aware of, like, bands... Well, I know Joey was like bands like the Queers and Screeching Weasel and everything like that. But I know Joe Queer has, you know, had was friends with Joey. So obviously Joey was aware of the Queers and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that uh, I know that speaking of Richie, Richie definitely is, uh, you know, he knows like he's friends with all those people as well. Like he's yeah. friends with Joe Queer and stuff like that. So he he's knows how much those bands are are into the Ramones. But yeah, Joey, I know that Joey was really into when he came to Australia. I mean, apparently they asked for the Hard-Ons to be the opening band and they, in 89, they toured and Exploding White Mice was the opening band in Adelaide and Joey really loved them. He loved the Exploding mm-hmm. White Mice. And so there's a photo that, because I'm, I'm friends with the guitar player and the Exploding White Mice, and he told me that there's this photo that he has uh, which is Joey singing in Melbourne or Sydney wearing an exploding white mice t shirt. And he said oh, like, wow, that's cool. Yeah, that's special for him. Really special for him. Yeah. Right? So yeah. I think Joey was probably more switched on to the the music scene in that way than the others. Uh, I, I, oh yeah. Yeah, just from the way well, the way that people speak about him and things, like, you know, the fact that he was managing the independence and all that sort of stuff, it just seemed like he was more switched on to the, the, the underground punk scene. Definitely, yeah, I could totally see, like, Johnny not giving a shit at all because, like, Johnny would be like, you know, who is this band? I've never heard of you. Oh, you're on an indie? I don't care. Like, you're nothing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he, he was about – it was a job for him. You know what I mean? And, and, he, and he wanted the fame and he wanted the success, so – yeah. And it's like, even with, uh, like, I think, you know, some of the, the solo artists probably like CJ, you know, probably knows a lot more as well now because, you know, he's playing all the time and he's playing yeah. with a lot of these local bands, the smaller underground bands, you know, he, he'll do shows at a pub with toy guitar. He'll do, you know, he's playing bass in the me first and the gimme gimme's, you know, he's, he's out yeah. there still seeing all of these bands anyway. So I'm sure he's probably, yeah, got, like, he's probably connected to it too. He played at Punk Rock Reduno a couple of years ago. He played with the Queers. He played with the Manges. On the new Manges album, he wrote one of the songs on there. Yeah. They did one of CJ's So.
The last thing that I have to ask you about before I let you go, though, is that I'm excited about it, is that you have a new album. Yes, yes, we're very excited about it. We premiered the first single from it yesterday. It's called The album's called Save the World, and that's the first single as well. Um, and the music video is up on, uh, on, our, on our Facebook and Instagram and all that shit. That was funny. Um, the video is funny, man. That was just us with a cell phone and a tripod, and we filmed it over like the course of like four hours doing all the different angles and everything like that so that was cool and yeah we've been sitting on that video for a while but so we were happy to finally release that yesterday because everything's in motion now for the record like it takes a long time to get vinyl and everything pressed and everything like that so we don't have a definite release date yet but sometime in in early 21 i would say like late january or early february hopefully the album will be out that's going to be on um mom's basement is doing the lp and the cd and um, it's also coming out on Water Slide Records in Japan on CD. And um, your buddy Henry that was on last week, he's doing it on cassette for Memorable But Not Honorable. Yeah, that's fucking so, right, man. We're psyched about that. And then we also announced today that next week, Mom's Basement is releasing a 7-inch that has that first single on it, Save the World. And then it's got two non-album songs that that are exclusive to it on the flip side. So that's coming out next Friday, and it's uh, only 50 copies. So we're hoping those go pretty quickly so John could uh, make some money back on this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're psyched for this. This has been a long time in the making. We actually recorded this album in the spring of 2019. So we were done with it uh, by, like, August of, of, of last year, of oh, 2019. Wow. And then it was just... You know, we hooked up with Waterslide and Mom's Basement in like December or Jan- of 19 or January of this year. And then it's just been waiting because John had a lot of stuff lined up with his label and a lot of releases. And he had told us he wanted to do the record, but he's, he's a good guy and he's honest with us. He said, I want to do it, but it might take like at least a year before I could put it out. And we were like, okay, that's fine. We'll wait because we wanted to be there. Like when we recorded this, we were like, you know, we were thinking, honestly, like, in our opinion, the big names right now were like Mom's Basement and Eccentric Pop, uh, yeah. you know, and when and when when John said he wanted to do it, we're like, OK, yeah, we'll wait another year. So we sat on the record and and that's what so we were kind of like, you know, all bottled up energy ready to go with getting this thing out there. So it was excited. Yes. Exciting yesterday to finally release that uh, that first single.
Yeah, that's awesome, man. I like the song. It's good. It's very catchy. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that's our our guitarist, Richie, who does half the lead vocals. Um, he wrote the whole record, so he did a great job. Yeah, well, from that one song, if it's if that's the caliber of the songwriting, I'm going to be stoked for it, completely stoked, and I can't wait to hear it. So cool. did cool. you record it in, uh, in, in New York? We recorded it ourselves, yeah. Richie recorded it and produced it all himself, so it's all, you know, in-house production. So, cool. Any uh, any hidden surprises on the record, like any covers or special guests or anything like that? No, no. This is just us. You know what I mean? Like the first record, like we talked about before, was Mass producing it and and Joe singing on it. But this time, it's it's just the three of us. Richie produced it all himself. No guests or anything like that. So it's it's just going places. We don't have any any big names to try to draw attention to it. Hopefully, the music can uh, can speak for itself yeah. i think the, the album the album cover looks cool so maybe people will will that'll draw a few people in our buddy dave drew a cool album cover for us so it should look pretty good on the big uh, lp and everything like that yep awesome because i'll be I'll, I'll definitely grab it because uh we have a distro here now in australia uh, yeah. craig does it from uh from batfoot and the remingtons he's uh He's got uh, the distro now, Endless Attention. It's great because he's ordering in all the records that I want. So, yep. you know. Yeah, I heard about that. That's awesome that he's doing that. Yeah, cool. finally. So now, you, now you guys don't got to worry about paying all these crazy shipping costs or, or ordering from two or three separate labels. You can get it all in one spot. That's awesome. Yeah, which is which is exactly what we need. So, I mean, I've been telling him for ages that I – I got to get these. Uh, like, I, I want to press seven inches of uh, Thorazine stuff, but it's just so fucking expensive here. And the thing is, is that the the problem that we have here is just. I think I said it on the 
the interview with Henry is that it's just so expensive to send shit overseas. And the fact yeah. that like 20 people like this style of music in Australia means that a pressing of 20, which should be what I do, and that's just way too costly because no one is, is going to pay that sort of money to ship a record overseas, like just a seven inch. If, they, if they're spending, you know, like, you know, $15 on a seven inch, why are they going to pay like $20 for postage? You know, yeah. Like, and, and it's tough. Like, I don't think you could press if, if you wanted to actually press a record and not do a laid cut. I don't know that you could press 20 records. Like, it seems like maybe the smallest I've ever seen is like a hundred. And even that doesn't happen that often. Usually it's at least 300. Yeah. We have a place here that does 200, uh, like you can get, or 150, like they'll do a run of 150, okay. but it works out to being like, you know, your cost price is just yeah. like, it, it's just expensive. You're not going to make any money whatsoever. So you're yeah. just doing it for the sake of doing it. I don't know. I just find it so, it's so, I mean, if only we could like, that's why I'm stoked. Henry said that he would release a tape of like a bunch of Thorazine yeah. stuff. So I'm very happy he's going to do that. Uh, get us out into America. So there'll be a physical product and he's going to be the first person to have a physical product. So I said, to make his release special, I'll record him a bunch of extra stuff that will, won't be on anything but the tape. So, oh, nice. And I can tell you from our experience working with him, Henry is a great guy. He's helped us out with a couple of things. We have a lyric video that's going to come out, one of the singles from the album that'll probably be out in like January. He put that together. So aside from running the label, he's just been really good to us. But I don't know how much you follow that label, but he's getting a good following. And I think that'll be great for you. If you could do a tape with him, that'll definitely help get your name out there. Cause he's already got, it's only been like six or seven months. I think that he's been doing this, but he's got people. I see it all the time that are like, I, I'm, I'm going to order it. Whatever you put out, I'm going to order it. I want to get everything you put out. And I'm like, wow, this guy's doing something right this early in the game. Yeah. There's people out there who will just buy, like they just follow labels and they buy everything on it, whether yeah. the, the record's good or not. I mean, I do that yeah. with uh, with a lot of labels too. Like, you know, I collect specific labels, uh, Rip Off Records, you know, Lookout, Estress, whatever. Uh, like I, I just pick up a record and if it's got those, if it's of a label that I like, if I've never heard the band, I'll still buy it because, you know, it's what, what are the, the, the chances are it's going to probably be pretty good, you know? Yeah. Well, obviously, yeah. you won't be able to play shows for some time. I mean, uh, New York, I guess, yeah. is still in a pretty bad way. Is it right? Our governor actually just announced today, a few hours ago, that New York City is banning all indoor dining again. So all the restaurants have to close, and you could only either eat outside, like on the sidewalk, or, or take food to go. So, yeah, we're not playing shows or anything anytime soon. But actually, um, next Friday, Mom's Basement um, and the dummy room is doing like a, an online type show slash Christmas party type thing. So we're going to be a part of that. Um, a bunch of other mom's basement bands are doing it. And Kepi from the groovy ghoulies is doing a live set at the very end of it. So that's our version of a live show, I guess, in, in this weird time right now. Well, I've kept you for ages, Frank. Um, but I tell you what, man, it's been an absolute blast talking with you about all of yeah. this rad shit. Um, Same here, man. This was fun. It, it has been a lot of fun, and I'm really looking forward to the new the new album. Do you think the tape will come out before the uh, the LP, or is, are they going to try and sync it so it's released at the same time? No, everything's going to be synced. Um, that was the deal from the beginning. Like we're all following. Like Mom's basement is like you know driving the driving the uh, car right now, so 
everything's going to come out at the same time. The tapes are done and ready to go, but we're waiting on that because, like I said, it's going to be everything's going to be released at once. But um, I know test pressings are in route to Mom's Basement Records. I don't even know if I'm supposed to be saying that right now, but so once he gets those approved, like I said, if I if I I would say late January or early February, and then everything CDs, LPs, cassette, digital. The only thing we don't have are eight tracks. So <laughs> well, you need to up your game because be Haley and the Crushers has got you beat on that because they've managed to release a fucking eight track. I don't know how they did it, but they fucking did it. That's I saw that, but you, you, I mean, and I think it's awesome. But the the eight track doesn't play. It's just a glorified download code. Oh. They just put a label on like an old eight track. And then you can download the stuff, but it's still pretty cool. I mean, I think that's a great idea, man. And in my head, I was sitting there thinking, like, how did they get a fucking eight track done? And you've just killed it for me. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I've had people. I've had people say that to me when I tell them we're doing a cassette. They go, "No, how can you play that? Nobody has a cassette deck anymore." I'm like, "Well, I still have one in my living room, but fuck, I mean." People don't have even have cassette. People don't even have CD players. I've had people tell me I don't have a CD player anymore. Yeah. So it's it's just it's a weird time now with physical music. It's, it's starting to come back. Like I said, Henry's doing good with his label, and the same way vinyl had a resurgence, whatever it was, ten years ago or so. Now it's going to start with cassettes. And watch in in fifteen years, people will be buying CDs. Ironically, the way the way they're buying cassette tapes now. So. Whatever. It's all good. Yeah, I think there's people out there who still buy CDs. Like, that's their thing. I mean, I haven't... Uh, well, actually, that's a lie, because the last CD I did buy was... Uh, I bought one just recently, because the Hard-Ons released all these deluxe editions of their uh-huh. albums that have, like, all these unreleased demos and, uh, like, just compilation tracks or things that just never made the album but were recorded properly and stuff like that. So I've just bought, like, you know, they're all double CDs and I I bought them because I wanted all those extra tracks and the booklets are incredible. So I do, you know, I guess I still do buy CDs, if it's, but it's selective. I'm very selective with it. So I buy archival yeah. stuff. Yeah. And I have, like, a handful of bands that I have to buy a CD for when an album comes out, like Green Day being one of them. So anytime they'll put out an album, I, I have to buy it on cd and it just goes and sits on my shelf and i never listen to it but i have to i can't sleep at night i guess if there's a green day album that i don't have on CD. But that, that that's something for me to talk about with my psychiatrist i guess <laughs> <laughs> awesome well frank i had the best weekend ever i hope it's awesome for you stay safe you too thank you and uh, I look forward to your album, man. You take care now, all right? All right. You too. Take care. Let's keep in touch. For sure, man. All the best. All right. Later. Your parents know that you're a